0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org.
1: Good. Glad you're here tonight. And um, if you've got a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it because we'll spend a lot of time in the Song of Solomon tonight. And you can kind of, when we give you a reference, you can uh, you can get to that. We've, uh, we as a staff wanted to do something that we hoped and thought would minister to you and to your marriage and uh, to your family you remember the night you got married do you remember the night before you got married do you remember that night the night before you got married the rehearsal I remember that night so well the rehearsal we went through and um after the rehearsal, my mom and dad and all of their friends threw us a big dinner out at the country club, and we went out there. And that night, after the dinner, I drove her home the last time that I'd leave her at that house.
0: That's
1: right. A single gal. I remember the first time I drove into that driveway uh, was a date, it was back in 1974 in March. Mm-hmm. 1974. I was going to take her to the Junior Miss Miss Greenwood
0: Paget. and you were very late.
1: I was an hour late. Yes, I thought she you thought had stood I'd me stood up. her up, mm-hmm. uh, but I hadn't. My daddy said, "Son, we don't play; we work. I got a load of furniture going out, and you taking it." So, but well, we was, did
0: have phones back then.
1: Yeah, but we didn't have <laughs> cell phones. We didn't have cell phones. So, anyway, but I remember that night we drove in before our the big day. We drove into the driveway, and we walked back and sat down in the swing in each other's arms, and we prayed mm-hmm. that night. We prayed, um, and boy, we should have prayed more than we did. But we <laughs> prayed that night. It was, a, it was a great thing to do before we took the plunge the next day. Um, on that night, we thought we'd never have a problem. Didn't you think that before you got married? Man, if any two people could ever be in love this much, there would never be a problem. We thought to ourselves that all we needed was love. You know, there's the Beatles. All you need is love. And uh, we felt like that love would see us through everything. And nobody in the world ever were ever in as much love as we were.
0: You know, like y'all, when we got down to the altar, we pledged for better or worse. But does anybody ever really think about worse? No. You all think it's going to be better and better and better. You imagine yourself living happily ever after, living in a place like in the kingdom. That's, that's what you think. You're going to live in Cinderella's castle your whole life. But about a month or so into your marriage, instead, you think you're living somewhere like this. Tell them about that, Daddy.
1: That, uh, that was our first little venture as a couple. Um, it, we bought about an acre, a little more than an acre of land up in the mountains of North Carolina. And I bought that. I, we spent everything we had to buy that little. You see, it's just a lean to. I bought it for $5,000, it was a fixer upper.
0: It was. Now, y'all know about fixer-uppers. Does anybody in here love HGTV like I do? I love watching Chip and Joanna. Uh, They take an old house. They get a couple, and they'll take an older, dilapidated house, and in 30-minute time, they will solve all of the problems in that house. Now, if you've ever done a fixer-upper, and we've done a couple of them in our time, it just doesn't work that way. But you love the idea of the way it's supposed to work. You know, too often, couples today are more willing to put in all the time, all the energy, all the trouble into fixing up a physical home, and they neglect the most important foundation in their life, and that's their family through Christ.
1: Their marriage, that's Mm -hmm. right. Well, tonight we want to give you six tools to help you in your marriage to help you restore, some of you need to do that, to help you fix up, to help you renovate, whatever you want to call it, we want to give you six twos. I want you to listen to a statement by Paul Tripp that I thought was incredibly insightful. He said, our marriages live in the middle of a world that does not function as God intended. Somehow, some way, your marriage is touched every day by the brokenness of our world. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your marriage in the midst of this broken world. He wants to do a number of things. Number one, the first thing is this. He most likely is not going to change your circumstances because he wants to use your circumstances to change you.
0: He wants to use you and your marriage to show others that he is faithful in the midst of whatever circumstance you're going through.
1: Now, I want you to think about this as a couple. Uh, Because we never think in these terms, he wants to use you, husband, to minister to your wife. And wife, he wants to use you to minister to your husband. He wants you to minister to one another. In fact, the person that you should minister to the most is your spouse. So we're going to give you six tools this evening uh, that will help you minister to one another that 'll help you build up your mate will help you build up your marriage it 'll help you do the work of restoration it 'll help you do the work of renovation it 'll help you do the work of repairing your marriage now, some of you you say well i don 't know that I need that well, some of these things if you 'll think through this they they have fallen by the wayside, and you need to recover them in your relationship so We're going to let ladies go first, as usual. And uh, men, she's going to talk to you primarily, and I'm primarily going to talk to the wives. So she's going to start off with that first tool for the men.
0: Guys, what I want to do tonight is just be really practical. I'm going to give you some very practical things that you can take out, and you can even start working on in the car on the way home. Uh, The first tool, the first tool in building up your marriage is affection. Affection. Okay, this is perhaps the greatest need in your wife's life. It's typically the most misunderstood by men because men hear affection and they think... Sex. That's exactly right. And they're completely different things. Affection symbolizes three things to a woman. And I'm going to repeat these over and over tonight. Symbolizes three things. Security, comfort, and approval. Three very important things in your wife's life. I want to take you to the Song of Solomon, where the wisest man to ever live understood this great need in his wife's life. In Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse two, uh, the bride says, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. He's showing her affection. This young bride is mesmerized by her groom. She's attracted to him. She is begging for his kisses. She's drawn to him. Here's the perfect picture of this first need being met in this wife's life. Listen as she continues. For your love is better than wine. She says, I am intoxicated with your love. You are meeting this need in my life and it's doing something to me. She says, it's making me feel a little dizzy. The immediate response is butterflies. She's all excited and she's feeling a little dizzy. But long term, we're going to go back to what it does for her. It gives her security, comfort, and approval. She goes on because he's showing her this affection. She goes on and she says, Draw me after you and let us run together. That is a good life verse for us.
1: I'm not running.
0: I think I'll write that and put that somewhere on the wall in his office. Literally, she says, sweep me off of my feet. Take me with you. I'm yours. Let me tell you, she's meeting, she's having her needs met by Solomon, and she's getting a little excited here. I want you to think about the commercials on TV where you see the beautiful sunset and you see the husband and the wife or the boyfriend and girlfriend holding hands and walking off into that sunset together. Her need is being met. That's exactly what she needs is that affection. It's what every bride desires. I want you to realize it's what your bride desires as she's getting married. It's what she desires a week after she's married. It's what she desires 60 years after she's married. Women always have this need for affection. And I want you to note, guys, where this is taking place. It's nowhere near close to the bedroom. Oh, they're going to get there. But this is nowhere close to the bedroom. Sex for a woman begins in her mind and in her heart. Gary Smalley said, men are microwaves and women are crockpots. <laughs> Let's bring it into terminology of those of us who cook today. I say, women are slow cookers and men are instapots. I think we can all understand that. I decided to do a little... Uh, little test to see if I could illustrate this for you. So I asked Mac to, I gave us both a card and I said, I want you to write down on your card and I'm going to write down on my card what you need to do, things that'll help if you'll do to get me ready for a night of romance. So, and I said, I'm going to write down on my card, which one card just wouldn't do it. So it took me several cards, and really, I could do more than this. I I, I hate to tell you this, but just relax for a minute. Okay, these are the things that you can do for me, and you don't have to do them all, but any combination of these really helps get me ready for a night of romance. And ladies, I think you're going to understand this. Support me, feed me, soothe me, tantalize me, wash the dishes without my having to ask. Help make up the bed, help fold the clothes, take my car and wash it when it's dirty. Fill it up with gas, humor me, wake me up with a kiss. Squeeze me, indulge me, pray for me, play with me, talk to me, accessorize me, (laughs) entertain me, charm me, carry things for me, oblige me, placate me, stimulate me, stroke me, console me, hug me, open doors for me, carry my lipstick without complaining, bring me flowers, rub my feet, reminisce with me, dream with me, acknowledge me, brag a little bit about me, spoil me, embrace me, tease me. Massage me, fix things, empathize with me, serenade me, because he sings so well, compliment me, cuddle me, ignore my imperfections, excite me, pacify me, protect me, phone me, anticipate my reactions, smooch me, nuzzle me, forgive me, caress me, praise, pamper, relish, savor, go on walks with me, fascinate me, attend to me, trust me, defend me, clothe me. Okay, there were a lot of other things that I can think of. Taking me to antique stores. I mean, we could go on and on. But those were just a few things. And any combination, the more the better, would get me ready for a night of romance. And now, what does it take for you? Get naked. Okay, you see, guys, that there, there's just a difference <laughs> in men and women.
1: That's all. That's all it takes.
0: Men, you need to understand that God created your wife. And our daughter is in here. This is just, do this, Courtney, do this. (laughs) Men, you need to understand that God created your wife with this great need, the need for affection and romance. Now, let me share with you. Let me give you four specific ways that you can express your affection for your wife. Words. Show her with your words. Every woman needs a steady diet of compliments. Look at Song of Solomon, chapter four, verses one through four. And I'm just gonna pick out the words here as Solomon is talking to you, to, to his bride. He says, how beautiful are you, my darling? Your eyes are like doves. Then he says, your hair, your teeth, your lips, your speech, your head, your neck. He is verbally showing his bride his affection. We live in such a critical world. A world that promotes insecurities in women because we will never live up to what the world tells us is the perfect woman. Guys, focus on her, compliment her in a world that constantly tells her, you do not measure up, let your words build her up. She needs that. Do you know Red Skelton was a comedian, the the older ones in here will remember him, Every day, Red Skelton wrote his wife a love letter. Did y'all know this? Have y'all ever read this? Every day he wrote her a love letter and he hid it somewhere in the house for her to find it. Somebody else that you know who just understood this in women was Ronald Reagan. He would write notes, he would write poems, he would write sonnets. sonnets even when he was uh, a busy actor in Hollywood, later when he was a much busier president in the white house he would find times and ways to always write nancy beautiful little sonnets beautiful little notes i think there's a book i'm pretty sure that's filled with all of the notes that he wrote her i bought it and gave it to you you did and i appreciate it he understood that his wife needed the assurance of his love and you may say tab i, I can't write sonnets and i can't write poems you know It's not what you say. One of his letters that he wrote her, and I think we've got a picture of it that they're gonna show, that just spoke so to my heart, and she loved, he just wrote over and over again, I love you, 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 I love you. I love you, and beside that, I love you. Now, it doesn't take a poet laureate to write that, but it says something to your wife that you took the time to sit down and do it. Uh, Show her you love her with your words. Number two, your actions. Plan ways to show her that you love her. Call her on the phone in the middle of the day for no reason. Not because you wanted to go pick up your dry cleaning or anything. Just call her and say, you know what? You're on my mind. I just want you to know that I love you. Send her flowers unexpectedly. Or you know what? Better than getting a flower arrangement, I just assume Matt go by Publix and pick me up a little $3.39 bouquet because it tells me, He was thinking about me. And don't wait until it's her birthday or anniversary. Do it just because you love her. Pick her up chocolate, and it doesn't have to be Godiva. Personally, I'd rather have a baby Ruth candy bar. It's just the fact that he's thinking about me and he's bringing it to me. Open the car door for her. Now, maybe this doesn't mean anything for you women, but my mother never got in a car with my dad that he didn't open the car door for her. I saw that. That was modeled for me my whole life. That wasn't so in Mac's family. His dad loved his mother, but that just wasn't a way that he showed her that he loved her. So when we got married, he didn't open the car door for me. And I'm immediately thinking, I've done something wrong. He doesn't love me. Well, I told him one day, since that day, I want you to know, every time he opens the door for me, my heart skips a little beat. Because I know it's not something... After
1: church, y'all can come watch me do that.
0: (laughs) It's not something that comes natural for him, but he knows that that's something that speaks to me. My dad (laughs) would dance my mother around the kitchen table when he came in. It's not... You don't have to do things that cost a lot of money. It's just your actions that show her that you love her. And then third, touch. Show her that you love her with the way you touch her. Do you know that scientists tell us that one of the most intimate things a husband and wife can do is hold hands? Do you know that? Is that not just a simple thing to do? Just reach over and hold your hand? Men who kiss their wives goodnight, State Farm has done a survey. Men who kiss their wives goodnight live longer than those who don't. So you see, you do something that's going to make her happy and you get a bonus that you live a little bit longer. (laughs) Reach over and hold your hand while you're driving down the road or sitting on the sofa. Your touch goes straight to her heart and to her soul. And then finally, fourth is focused, focused attention. Turn off your cell phone when you go out to dinner. Turn off the TV at night. Focus your attention on her. Remind her that next to your relationship with the Lord, she is the most important person in your life. Men are incredibly goal-oriented. Go back to when you were dating your wife. You did all these things. Because you had a goal in mind, you were trying to get her to say, I'll marry you. So you did all these things. And as soon as she said, I do, it's like, okay, that goal is taken care of. Now I'm going to my next goal, which is usually something to do with the career. You know, so many brides wake up about two weeks after their marriage and they think, who is this non-feeling, non-communicative, non-emotional man in the bed with me? Solomon focused on every attribute of his young bride, from the top of her head to her feet. He focused intently on her. He verbalized his appreciation for what he saw. It pays off, guys. These are four simple, practical ways for you to shower your wife with the affection that she so desperately needs. And
1: let me me say something, guys, about this before I move to the second thing, and that is... A woman who does not receive affection is like a flower cut off from water. It begins to wilt and will eventually dry completely up. If you don't give your wife that affection, that tenderness um, at home in that marriage, I can tell you she's going to find it somewhere else. She'll begin to withdraw. She may eventually cut off all sexual responsiveness she may withdraw silently, but very often her withdrawal is going to be punctuated with criticism, manipulation, and angry words. If she doesn't get that from you, and honestly, you're the only person that can give that to her legitimately, she's going to find it somewhere else. Maybe in civic activity, maybe in volunteering um, at, at the church, more volunteering, more volunteering, maybe with the girls, maybe with her mom but I want to tell you something. She's going to find it somewhere. Let me give you the second tool. The second tool is this. Now, ladies, I'm kind of directing this to you. When it comes to a man, what is a man's great need? Physical fulfillment. Now, I have come across one or two guys who have said, no, that's not my greatest need. And I have said, what else do you lie about? Because I want to tell you that is a man's greatest need. Um, I'm going to begin right there. Any book that you read, anybody that's worth their salt is going to take you to this place to say that men need physical fulfillment. When you come to the Song of Solomon, uh, you see it so clearly in this couple. Now, they're in the bedroom. I'm going to take you to a passage here, chapter four. They're in the bedroom, and I want you to just listen to what Solomon is doing. They're in the bedroom, and he begins to speak to her. He's going to do exactly what Debbie's just shared. Listen to what he says. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Now listen, you got to understand, this was 2,700 years ago, and this was a different culture. So just think now. This is what he's doing. Just think about this. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil, your hair is like a flock of goats. Now that was a good thing in that day. That's descended from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes, which have come up from their washing, all of which bear, tw- in other words, she's not snaggletooth. She's got all of her teeth. Your lips are like scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind the veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with rows of stone. He's talking about how she has such a long neck, and now she's got these beautiful um, stones that are around her neck. She's decorated with, you know, a necklace on which are hung a thousand shields, all the round shields of the mighty men. Your two breasts are like fawns, twins of gazelle. Now, I've never thought this, but this evidently was good stuff back then, which feed among the lilies. What's he doing? He's romancing her. He's giving her affection. He's paying her very specific attention. He knows, Solomon knows, that sex for his wife begins in her mind. That's not that way for us. A woman gets ready for sex through her mind, through what she thinks. And she thinks you need to romance her. Now let me show you something in Song of Solomon chapter 7. Beginning in verse one, this takes place years later now. Solomon is older, she is older, but he's still romancing her. He begins with her feet and he goes all the way up to her head. They are older, the years have gone by, but they're still passionate about one another. Age does not diminish love. Age does not diminish passion. In fact, it can enhance and not diminish. Now, I've had men come to me and say, "Well, you know what, we've done this on marriage retreats and I'd have the guys off and the guys would come up to me and say, listen, I'm no Romeo. Now, listen to me. You may be no Romeo, but she is your Juliet and she considered you a Romeo or she would not have given you the time of day. Now, she married you she just didn't walk up and say, tag, you're it. I've just decided, you know, you'll do out of all these guys. There was something there. And uh, that something is what you need to recapture. Every woman gets married believing that her husband is going to treat her every single day the way he treats her on that first night together. Tender, gentle, considerate of her feelings and of her emotions He's going to build her up. Now, I start off uh, saying this me, and I started off saying this. If you expect your wife to minister now to your first great need, you're going to have to pay attention to what Solomon is saying here. In other words, if you expect her to be ready for you at night, you need to be ready to pay her attention starting first thing in the morning. Ladies, I want to tell you this. Men don't think like you do. Now, I don't, I don't think I have to, I, I don't think that's a stunning revelation. Whereas God created you to be prepared for sex through all of this thinking, your husband is wired completely different. I don't need to think about it. I don't need all that thinking. Listen, let me, let me tell you. Women can think better than they can see. That's why she married you.
0: <laughs> I have to think about that one for a minute. Yeah, you do.
1: <laughs> and you can see men better than you can think. Men see and they become stimulated. Women think slowly, and as they slowly think, they move to the point to where they're ready for that romance. If you don't get this down, you're going to have a miserable love life for all of your marriage. Now let me give you the New Testament part of this. That's the Old Testament. Let me give you some New Testament. First Corinthians chapter seven, Paul says this. He warns you, don't deprive one another of this physical relationship. He said, all you do when you deprive your spouse of a physical relationship is give the devil an opportunity. Hebrews chapter 13, verse four says this. It states that the marriage bed is undefiled. The word there is amiantos, and it basically means this. It means that sex is not dirty. It's not something that's just disgusting or you have to put up with. It means this, the marriage bed is undefiled. God created something beautiful when he gave us that uh, sex drive. Uh, Man has made it filthy, but God created it as something beautiful and something that bonds the two of you together. And so he comes in Hebrews chapter 13 and he says, listen, you need to understand uh, the marriage bed is undefiled. You should enjoy each other. You should enjoy each other for all your married life until the Lord takes one of you home. Ladies, you need to understand that for your husband, sex with you is the panacea that makes everything in the world right. When he has that relationship with you, he feels like he's king of the world.
0: The third tool is conversation. And we're gonna see how men and women are a little different in this area too. There was a fascinating study done with a group of preschool children. Researchers got in the room with them, watched, listened, recorded, got back and looked, and they determined that 100% of what came out of the mouth of a little girl preschoolers was some kind of conversation, some kind of communication, 100%. Whereas with little boys, only 60% of what came out of their mouths was verbal communication. The rest was grunts and groans and sounds, plain sounds, and like you're going to shoot. That's what comes out of little boys' mouths. You know, I have a husband. I have a brother that I grew up with. I have two sons, a son-in-law, 11 grandsons, I didn't have to do a study to learn that men are different from women when they communicate. Men, your wives were created by God for communication. Communication for her is just verbal affection. Listen to the Shulamite girl in Song of Solomon 3, 4. When I found him whom my soul loves, now he's communicating with her. He's telling her all these things. When she found him, she says... I would not let him go. She says, he's communicating with me and I wanna just wrap my arms around him and keep him. He's a keeper, I'm not letting him go. Men, your wives need communication. Understand her communication style. Typically, men make decisions logically and not verbally. They look at the pros and cons of a situation and they quickly make a decision and they move on. Not so with women. That's we true. list out all the possible outcomes, mm-hmm. all the what ifs, mm-hmm. what's going to happen if this happens, if that mm-hmm. happens, let me think about this. Then we like to discuss it with people. Mm-hmm. Like, I call my brother who will mm-hmm. yes. talk with me and I'll talk with him. What do you think about this? I'll call Courtney. We'll talk about different things. Uh, I'll try to talk with you when you have time. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it. And at the end of all of that, I put it all together. I weigh the outcome and then I make a decision. Women weigh those outcomes. Men only look for solutions. If you understand this difference and (laughs) learn to talk through decisions with your wife, you're going to find that it strengthens the foundation of your marriage. An important tool for women, conversation.
1: Number four, companionship. Now, ladies, this is very big for a man. Every man wants a companion. Listen to the words of the bridegroom his Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse 10. Arise, my darling. Now, listen, let me give you the background of this chapter. All the work is done. Everything's been planted, harvest, everything's in bloom. It's springtime, you know, love is in the air, all of that. But he's got some time now between all of the planning, all of the harvesting to where he's got a little time for R&R. And what he wants is he wants the bride to come with him. "'Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along with me.'" Well, let me talk to you about that. Uh, Men need companionship. They love to have companionship. Uh, And uh, that's what he thought he was getting when he asked you to marry him. Now, let me just take you back. When you were dating, you used to go everywhere with him. He'd go out to change the oil in his car, and you would sit up on on the fender... And he would say, hey, hand me that, hand me this, give me a screwdriver. And she would say, is that the straight one or is that the one with the, I still don't know. the little cross <laughs> thing on it? So she, you were out there with him and you were handing him twos. Then he goes off to play softball. And you tag along behind him and you're carrying his glove. But you get married and somewhere after you say, I do, all of a sudden you're not interested in going with him anymore and he doesn't understand it he can't figure that out he thinks that you are upset with him in some kind of way because he wants a companion to go with him the the thing is this is that you used to be interested in him not necessarily in all the things he did and being interested in him you were willing to go along and put up with all the other stuff I go back to say men need companionship. They long for it. That's why every little boy wants a dog. That's why every little boy wants another little boy to be his friend. They just love companionship. This is why I have so many people that'll come in and they'll say, for some reason, we, we used to be best friends, but we just aren't anymore. And they want to know, well, what happened? Well, what happened was this. Drift happened. Things drift when you don't put an anchor down. Things drift uh, when you don't pay them attention. Things drift when you're not constantly on top of the situation. And so what you've done is you've begun to drift. He comes in and says, hey, honey, let's, let's go do this or let's go do that or let's go do the other. And she says, no, I think I'm going to go see mama. Or I think I'm going to go and just, you know, plant flowers or something. I'm going to go and I'm going to go do something like that. Well, he stands there and he's trying to process through his mind what in the world has gone wrong. You used to love to be with me, but it's just not that way anymore. And he feels like I've lost my best friend. So ladies, let me encourage you. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3.18. This is the Phillips translation. I like this. Wives adapt yourselves to your husbands. That is your Christian duty. The word is hupotasso. We translate it submit, but there's far more in the word hupotasso than just submit. It means to be in cooperation. It, it's this this concept of cooperation. It's this concept of adapting to a situation. Now, in families, we have to adapt to a lot of things. We have to adapt to a schedule. We have to adapt to each other's schedule, work schedule. We have to adapt to the kid's schedule. But let me tell you something. Ladies, if if you want to meet the need in your husband's life, he is looking for you to adapt to this companionship. He longs for it. Now, I saw this. In an incredible way, and my mother-in-law, we're talking a lot about Deb's parents tonight. Deb's dad played football for Clemson, and every every Saturday in the fall when they played, she got up early in the morning, she made this big picnic lunch, she would pack it all up, they'd pack up, load up the car, and then up that back road from South Carolina to Clemson, uh, from Greenwood up to Clemson, they would go. Now, I can tell you that was not exactly what she wanted to do every weekend. I can promise you that. But she did it. Why? Because she was going to be with Bill. She was going to be with her husband. And that's what she felt like her responsibility was. She loved it. She enjoyed. It. There were a lot of times she would leave the game and just go sit in the car. She would it come back really from hot, the and right. she would go sit back in the car. But she went with him. She was there with him the entire time.
0: She also now, fished with him. You remember she'd yeah, sit in the car while yeah. he fished?
1: She, he'd go fishing. A lot of times in the <laughs> afternoon, he'd go, he'd get in from work and he'd go fish. She'd just ride in the car and would sit in the car while he was standing out there fishing. Um, but I saw and I saw what the, and I saw how this played out because Deb's mother died of cancer, and when she was dying, he was right there constantly by her side. She was there through that marriage for him he was there through that marriage. And in those difficult last days, he was there. They were companions with one another. Now, let me, let me tell you, let me, let me give you Ecclesiastes 9.9. 9. Solomon says this, enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life for she is your reward. Now, men, if you want her, to do those things with you. And I want to tell you, there are a lot of times I come in and I say, hey, just, let's go do this or let's go there. I'm looking, for, I'm looking for my best friend. I'm looking for my companion to go do it. But now I want to tell you, if you're looking for her to do that, then you're going to have to be willing to go sit in the shoe department at Von Mark.
0: Amen. That's right.
1: And I'll give, you, I'll give you a great little thing to do. Right here on my phone <laughs> is an app that is a Kindle app, and I have got, look, there's Churchill right there. See that right there? So when she wants to go to DSW, the daggum shoe warehouse is what I call it. When she wants to go there, I said, let's go, honey, and I've got Winston Churchill to go with me. So you you can make it good, but if you want her to be your companion, you're going to have to be willing to do that with her.
0: That's right. Okay, the fifth tool is commitment. Song of Solomon 6.3 says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Just speaks of commitment. You can hear the security in the statement. Every woman, every wife longs to have this sense of security. How do you communicate commitment to your wife? Let me give you four practical ways. Number one, and this you think would be a no-brainer, but let me even break it down a little bit. Number one, be faithful. The most practical, this is most practically expressed in Proverbs 6.32. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He's an idiot. Men, by God's grace, remain faithful to your wife. A fair proof your marriage by setting down some boundaries before you get to the place where you're in a difficult situation and having to make some difficult choices. Let me give you six things. Number one, don't place yourself in a place of temptation if you can help it. You know where you're tempted. Don't go there. Number two, don't meet with a woman one-on-one behind closed doors. Now, Vice President Pence said that. He said he never got in a, went to lunch with a woman one-on-one, never got in a car with a woman one-on-one. That is some very good advice. I know the world laughs at it and says that's ridiculous, but look at the other people who do that, and it begins innocently, and it doesn't end well. Number three, stay away from pornography stay away from pornography. Four, realize there is no such thing as harmless flirtation. I can promise you to your wife, there's no such thing as harmless flirtation. Number five, guard your eyes, guard your mind, guard your heart. The only person who should know the desires and the dreams of your very being is your wife. Shouldn't share that with anybody else. And number six, be alert and be on guard for red flags. And like Joseph, put on your tennis shoes and flee when you feel like. And you can have a sense. You know when something isn't quite right. Number two, share parenting responsibilities. In Ephesians 6, 4, Paul states that the father is to take the lead in discipline and in instruction. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. These two words are not synonymous in the Greek. The words mean to nourish and to train. Paul says the principle behind discipline and training is ultimately you're training your children to obey their heavenly father. Let me give you four quick principles in parenting your children. Number one, be consistent, be consistent, be consistent, be consistent. Inconsistent fathers breed insecure children. Number two, discipline don't punish and there is a difference punishment is payment for past failures it's not what you want to do as a parent you want to discipline which is training for the future god doesn't punish us he disciplines us look at romans 8 write these verses down romans 8 1 and first timothy 4 7 go back and read those tonight Uh, third be unified You cannot disagree and correct each other in front of the children. You can't do it. If you don't agree, then wait till you get behind closed doors at night when the kids have gone to sleep. Then you can discuss whatever disagreement there is among you. Divide and conquer is not just a military term. It's a tactic that's learned by children around the world. And number four, control your anger. Proverbs 11.29 says, he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. Just four quick words. Quick points there. Now, let's go back to the third way you can show commitment. Take the initiative in home repairs.
1: Even men, if you hate it.
0: I know. Men, your wife's home is her haven.
1: Hey, listen, all I have to do is walk around the house with a screwdriver, and she's a happy woman. I'm
0: a happy woman, that's right.
1: With a hammer, pair of pliers. I act just act like you're doing something. And
0: move that's towards her level. It really is. Um take responsibility. For doing those home repairs. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.18 says, laziness lets the roof leak and soon the rafters are going to begin to rot." So stay ahead of those things for her. Uh, and number four, be the spiritual leader. What does that mean? It means you take responsibility for leading your family in the things of the Lord. This is not a matter of knowledge. Honestly, it's the matter of a heart that's submitted to the Lord. You don't have to have a theological degree to do this. And how can you do that? I'm giving you just really practical things. How are... Four ways you can practically do that. Pray together. And once you commit to pray together as a husband and wife, I'm going to tell you, you are going to come under satanic attack. So be ready for that. Number two, take the initiative to memorize Scripture together. Doesn't have to be whole books, whole paragraphs. We used to have a little plastic thing on the table that was the daily bread. Isn't that what it was called? And it had a verse for the day. And we would start at breakfast going over that Scripture with the children. Just memorize a little verse together as a family. And number three, read the Scripture together. At night, sit down and just open up the Bible. We gave out children's Bibles today, mm-hmm. children's story Bibles. Get out a, a children's story, story Bible and yeah. just read some of those with your children. And then fourth, bring, don't send, bring your children to church. It's so important that you attend church as a family.
1: If you look at Second Chronicles chapter 25, Verse 2. Listen, just listen to this. 25, verse 1 and 2, 27, 1 and 2, and 28, 1 and 2. Those three chapters in 2 Chronicles, you're going to see where the kings of uh, of Israel neglected the house of God. And in doing that, it just it, it it created a a a situation in the life of their sons that came behind them that they went a little further and a little further and a little further away from God. So when she says, bring your family to church, there's a great precedence right there in scripture that shows you when you don't do that, when you fail to do that with your children, it, it, it reinforces not being in the house of God, which is exactly what happened to the Kings of Israel.
0: Okay. I've given you three specific tools for restoring your relationship with your wives, guys, show her affection, communicate with her, and finally, make a commitment to your wife and your family.
1: Let me give you the last tool. Number six, and ladies, this is really for you, it is admiration. I'm going to tell you the key to your husband is admiration. I'm telling you right now, it is. And you can see that in the Song of Solomon. Now, in Solomon's day, um, songs to, about women were as popular then as they are now, but in the Song of Solomon in chapter five, you get something that's really rare in the ancient world, and that is a song of a, uh, from a woman about a man. But now here is the bride who is singing here. It's a woman who sings about her love for her husband. She says here that he is radiant. She calls him radiant. Now that word is a word that's used to describe how a woman has a diamond. And, or a ruby or a sapphire, how that jewel is cut in such a way that it catches light and it spins it around and throws it out and it sparkles. Now, listen to what she's saying about him. She's saying, This guy is dazzling. This guy is just sparkling. He's dazzling. In verse 10 of chapter 5, she says, He's outstanding. The word means to be distinguished, to be well-known, to be popular, we would say. It was used of the brightest star in the night sky, Uh, or it spoke of a banner that would fly over a castle. You begin to get a picture of what this woman is doing. She's saying, ain't no, you know, you know, the song, ain't no woman like the one I got. She's singing, ain't no man like the one I got. (laughs) Now that's what she's singing. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's interesting to me that Paul comes and he understands this. Of course, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he understands this so well. He comes to the man and he says, men, you are to love your wives. That's what she's been communicating this whole evening is that we, women, we want to, they want to know, I'm loved, I want to be shown affection, I want you to speak to me, I want you to tell me that. And so Paul comes and he says, men, you need to love your wives, but now look at what he says to the wives. He says, wives, he doesn't say love your husband. He says, wives, honor your husband. That's the admiration. That's the the key to it there. It's this admiration. The single greatest motivation you can use in the life of your husband is admire his socks off. He desperately needs to know that you think he's a knight in shining armor. He wants to know that you respect him, that you honor Listen, I love my wife, and I like, I like to hear her say, Honey, I love you. I like that. That's nice. But now, when this woman says, You know what? I have so much respect for you, or I honor you, it makes me weak in the knees. Men long for admiration. There was a survey that was done in England uh, not long ago because uh, the marriage level in England right now is at the 1895 level.
0: It's
1: just really low. Really low. And so everybody's asking, why won't men make a commitment? Why won't men make a commitment? Why won't they marry? Well, they wrote a book on it. And I want you to just listen because part of this In our culture today, you need to hear this because this is being played out in America today. Uh, Men feel this way. I want you to understand how men feel. Many women have have been raised to think of men as the enemy. It's precisely this dynamic, women good, men bad, that has destroyed the relationship between the two. After decades of browbeating men, men are tired of it. They're tired of being told that there's something fundamentally wrong with them. They're tired of being told that if a woman's not happy, it's all their, it's all their fault. What they've basically said is this. They've come to the conclusion. They've, they've understood is that men need somebody that would look at them and admire them. They're beat down in the workplace. They're challenged constantly in the workplace. Uh, They're challenged in society. They're made out to be buffoons in the movies and on television. And men long for somebody to look at them and just simply say, I admire you. I honor you. I respect you. Now, Again, I'll have folks that have come in for counseling, and I'll have a lady that'll come in and she'll say, Well, now, Pastor, listen, he's not God's gift to women. Well, he may not be God's gift to women, but let me tell you something. If he's your husband, he's God's gift to you. He's God's gift to you. And uh, what you can do to minister to him is admiring. Let me give you two things. Number one, identify those characteristics that attracted you to him to begin with. Something you attracted, something attracted you to that guy. Now, I'm going to do something dangerous. She doesn't know I'm going to do this. Uh-uh. What was it that attracted you to me?
0: Um, Please. Your, your eyes, your ability to sing, and you were just funny. You were just a funny, crazy guy. That attracted me.
1: Okay. All right. Oh, and and
0: your handsome looks.
1: Yeah. Okay. Good. You're you're very handsome.
0: You're very handsome. All right. And you still are. Well, you need to go go back and focus. You need to go
1: back and focus on that. (laughs) Ladies focus on that. Think about that. Think on those things. Think on the things that attracted you to him to begin with instead of all the things that you got complaints about.
0: And start the day off that way. I found if you just, when you get up in the morning, just thank the Lord for him. I'm so thankful for him. Thank you for bringing him into my life. And these are the things that I admire so. Tell yourself, as you start putting that into your mind, it's gonna set the stage for the whole day. How you start off the day really is gonna set the agenda for it. So start off first thing.
1: Yeah, and the second thing is this. And ladies, I, I wanna help you through this. And this, I, I, I wanna I want be clear with this. Um, because I think this will help you concentrate on changing habits and not character traits character traits are pretty well set you're not going to change those things but habits are learned they can be unlearned and they can be changed now let me just give you an example you say, well, you know, he's so quiet. He walks in at the end of the workday. He'll come in the back door and he just walks in. He plops down in that recliner and he picks up the newspaper and he starts reading the newspaper. Or he just walks in. He plops down in that chair. I've got the kids are all around me in the kitchen, you know, kind of day. I'm in there trying to finish up dinner because I want to get dinner on the table for him. I know he's hungry. Kids are running around. They're all going crazy. They hadn't seen their daddy all day. He just walks in, doesn't say a whole lot. Now that's generally a character trait. That you're not going to change that. But now you can minister to him and you can help him have a win. What you can do is you can begin to suggest some things to him. Not nag him, not fuss at him, not tell him how bad a dad he is, not uh, not, um, uh, just not being, you know, overly aggressive about it, but slowly. I gave out these Jesus. Storybooks today to everybody that drove up. All of the f- parents that drove up and dropped their little ones off at our care center down here, I gave them the, the uh, Miss Hannah bought. The, the, they're the best little bibles you can read to a little child. And if you've got little ones, I would encourage you see her. She can give you. It's written by Sally Lloyd Jones, who is the granddaughter of David Martin Lloyd Jones. It is the best little Bible that you can get. And there were several men that came through, and this is what I said to them because I was thinking about this for tonight. Uh, To all the women, I said, happy Valentine's. Well, I wasn't gonna say that to a man, but I said to the late, happy Valentine's from Valleydale. When the guys, when I got to the guys, I said, hey, listen, this is a great little book you can read to the kids when you get home in the afternoon. And the guys, you know, all all the guys said, hey, thanks. I appreciate that. Help the guy understand. Help him have a win. You're not going to change the fact that he's quiet. You're not going to change the fact that he doesn't talk much. But what you can do is you can help him break a bad habit and help him form a new habit. And uh, he'll begin to spend a little bit more time maybe reading. Listen, it doesn't take a great deal Uh, to be able to sit down and read the Jesus book to a child.
0: So what you might do instead of saying, you never do anything with the kids, you never help me out, a wife might say, do you have time to just sit down while I'm fixing dinner and read a story to the kids? Give him a win. Give him something. Don't don't approach it negatively. You never do this or you don't do that. But just say, do you have time to take just a minute and read this to the kids? I think they'd really enjoy it. And then thank you. God, thank you so much for spending time with the kids. Here's the
1: admiration part right there. Boy, I just admire you for doing that. Thank you. Thank you,
0: darling. You're so welcome. When a man doesn't get the admiration that he desires from his wife, ladies, he's going to get it somewhere. Unconsciously, maybe, but he's going to seek it somewhere. Where? Three primary sources. Number one, work. If he does a good job and he's rewarded, he looks for that admiration from his coworkers, from his boss, from his company, maybe he's gonna start working longer hours, he's gonna start volunteering to do extra jobs because he wants somebody there to say, what a great job, you are doing a great job. Number two, from his friends, he's gonna seek to impress his friends. I think this explains a lot of midlife crises in men. Uh, They kind of don't know what to do with themselves. They go out and buy that sports car so that everybody can say, Look what you've got! What a great—he's wanting that admiration. He's wanting somebody to look and say, "What a great job!" Look what you're able to do. And then, third—and this is what's so dangerous—from another woman. So often, when men are not admired by their wives, they're going to look for it in another woman. An extramarital affair is almost never about sex. A counselor will tell you that we have counseled people for. 35 years, I can tell you through almost every extramarital affair, it was never about sex. You know what it was? He was getting something from that woman that he didn't get from his wife. And most often that was admiration. The emotional, yeah. It's, it's that emotional hunger for admiration. Ladies, there are women out there who are ready and willing to meet that need in his wife. You can build a hedge around your marriage by meeting this need for admiration in your husband's life. It works for all the males in your family. For those of you who have sons, I've got two sons, a son-in-law, and as I told you, 11 grandsons. Praise them. You know, it's kind of like training a puppy. Now, we've got Mr. (laughs) Frank here who trains puppies. What do you do when you're trying to train a puppy? When he does something right, Good boy. That's a good boy. What a great boy. You pat him on the head. What a good boy. Ladies, do that with your husbands, with your sons. What a great job. Thank you so much for raking the yard for me. <laughs> that was such a good job. You are the best husband. That was the best sermon I have ever heard on Job. Now, he doesn't, y'all can come up and y'all can tell him what a good message, and that's great. That's and I true. appreciate you're doing that. Yeah. But what he really cares about is in the car on the way home. What did I think about his message? But your husbands are the same way. They want to know what you think about what they did. Praise them. I'm so thankful for your integrity, for your honesty. Tell your grandsons that. You did the right thing. You took that back to the store when you realized you'd pick it up and you didn't mean to pick it up from the store. You took it back. That's a man of integrity. God's gonna honor that. Nobody can do that for their husbands as well as you can, ladies. You praise and you admire them. Now, do you remember the picture of that shack that we bought in the North Carolina mountains? My dad was an engineer. Mac's dad was a businessman. They both thought we had lost our minds when we bought that. But we had a vision for what it could be. Oh, it was never gonna be a mansion. But we could see a home overflowing with love. It took work. Trust me, it took lots of work. And they're going to show you some pictures. Look at you, Courtney. You look up here on this. This is Trey up in the rafters putting insulation. Isn't that what he was doing? Or was he hanging the trusses, putting the trusses up? He's
1: caulking that stuff. We put wheels with so little, we stuck him up in the roof. With, with the, uh, no, it was wheels because he came out, all you could see oh, was Oh, that's when we were blowing the insulation. Yeah, yep. blowing in insulation up there. But we all worked on that.
0: It was a family project. Yeah. To this day, if you ask our children what are some of their favorite memories, they're going to go back to when we built this little home. I want you to look at the before and after pictures. You, you saw the before over here. Uh, but let me show you some of the after pictures if you guys can pull those up. This is what we did with that little home. It was a little dollhouse. We lived in the furniture capital of the world. So we went to the furniture market after the market and they just want to get rid of the furniture. So we went through and we picked out the neatest furniture pieces. We had so much fun decorating that. These pictures show the process of renovation. And let me let you see side by side the before and the after. This is the before and this is the after. Pretty, pretty amazing. Um, That was our fixer upper project.
1: We Two things about that. Number one, we started off with very imperfect, flawed, messed up. No. Debbie and I got up there and with uh, crowbars on that roof, and we ripped that roof off in one day. We did. The two of us. We did. We worked together. We did that, and the next day, of course, you see it here. We, I had ordered trusses. They delivered them, and we put the trusses up, and I, I put. Uh, you can't tell that was that was pretty high up. I put Trey at the top, we set one truss and I put, I made him climb to the top of the truss and then push off the other trusses so that we could set those trusses in, in place. It was a messed up. My dad told me much later, he said, son, I didn't want to tell you at the time, but he said, I thought you'd thrown your money away. It was flawed. It was messed up. It was bad, but we had a vision for it. Now that's how marriage starts out you've got two flawed people. By the way, let me let me tell you what is said in Romans is true of a of a young couple when they're getting married. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've got two very flawed, sinful people out of two very different families and backgrounds. And when they come together, but they come together under Christ, they've got a good foundation. That was the only thing about this place that was good, was the foundation. When you've got a good foundation, you can build a good marriage.
0: And our tiny little shack had been owned by a hoarder. The guy who owned this, every little piece of wood, everything he could find, he had put in this this little shack from the back to the front, From the side, one side to the other, it was just crammed with stuff. So the first thing we had to do when we bought it was take all of that junk out. Let me ask you, is there anything in your marriage that needs to come out before you can start building up? Is there anger, bitterness, addictions, greed, selfishness? Make a commitment to get rid of all that junk in there before you can start rebuilding.
1: Now, what we've talked about tonight is basically this. In your, in your marriage, you pledge to love and to cherish one another. Now, we, we've not talked so much about love tonight. That's 1 Corinthians 13. What we have talked a lot about is cherishing each other. We've given you six tools that can help you in your marriage cherish one another. What does cherish mean? You could give a better definition of love than you can of cherish. Cherish means this. It means to nurture, to care for, to treat tenderly. It means to protect, to guard, to hold close, to feed. It means all of those things. What you're to do in that husband-wife relationship is to cherish one another. Now, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you just to just stand, if you would. And I want you just to bow your heads with me. And if uh, you're a couple and you're here tonight, I want you just to turn to your mate and I want you to hold hands. We're going to close this in a word of prayer. Just hold hands, face each other. And just where you're standing, I want you to do this. I want you to pray behind me these words. Lord Jesus.
0: Lord Jesus.
1: I thank you for my mate. I thank you for my mate. I cherish the one you gave me.
0: I cherish the one you gave
1: me. I want to be, I want to be. all that I can be all that I can be for your glory and for their good. good. Use our marriage
0: marriage.
1: in this church, in this this community community. To to reflect Jesus Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org